Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Nonbeliever Bible Club. Boy, do I have an episode for you today. Let's talk about cross-dressing. Last time we read from Deuteronomy 22.5, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Why does God care about what you wear? In episode 32, I explored the translations and history of verses in the Bible most often used to argue against homosexuality. This is one of them, which is interesting because the more I research and the more I read, I feel like the idea of homosexual relationships back then and today are completely different. The issue is either a moral issue or may be rooted in a deep-seated fear of paganism. It's this side that I'm going to explore the most in this intro, but you be the judge. As we explore the world of ancient cross-dressing. Guys wearing dresses. Women wearing pants. All right. Now this is forbidden for decency's sake that men might not confound those sexes which God hath distinguished, that all appearance of evil might be avoided. Such change of garments carrying a manifest sign of effeminacy in the man, of arrogance in the woman, of lightness and petulancy in both, and also to cut off all suspicions and occasions of evil for which this practice would open a wide door. This is from Benson's commentary, written by Joseph Benson, an English Methodist minister who lived in the 18th century. So, the 18th century argument for why men and women shouldn't cross-dress. It makes the men effeminate and makes the women arrogant. Those kinds of behaviors go against the gender norms of the time, sure. But why would someone in the 18th century believe that it opens the door for evil? The more I read, the more I felt like this commandment could be closer tied to another. Deuteronomy 18.9 When you enter the land that the Lord thy God has given you, do not imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. The Israelites weren't just struggling within their own society. Their society was struggling against every other society. And guess what was prevalent in most every single society in ancient Mesopotamia? Now, if you think that I organized a list of examples of ancient cross-dressing, welcome to the Nonbeliever Bible Club. First up, the cult of Inanna, or Ishtar. Ishtar was the ancient Mesopotamian deity of love, war, beauty, and sex. In the Akkadian period, male followers of this goddess Ishtar were called Gela, and they were known for worshipping her in women's clothing. They sung heart-soothing lamentations to Ishtar. These lamentations, or wailing, coming from a female style of singing. Furthermore, the dialect of the singing is reserved for female gods. So these male gala, dressed in women's clothes, sung women's songs in the language of female deities. This continues years later in ancient Greece. The Oscophoria were festivals held in honor of Dionysus. As the legends say, Theseus disguised two of his soldiers as women by bathing them, smoothing their skin with perfumes and oils. My guess is personally, 
and instructing them to imitate the vocal timbre of women in order to infiltrate Crete among the virgin sacrifices. During the Oscophoria, two young boys were selected, dressed in women's clothes, and walked carrying grapevines in honor of the god of wine. Lastly, an example straight from the Bible, Asherah was a fertility goddess and the consort of Anu and El, the two oldest and most prevalent deities in ancient Mesopotamia. The Tanakh has a very negative view on Asherah and her followers, calling them prostitutes. The word used for prostitute is Kedesha, referring to fertility cult members, both male and female, who engaged in sexual practices as a form of worship. Sign me up. Just kidding. Now, it's important to note that in the Bible, female prostitutes are recognizable by their clothing. In this way, Tamar tricked Judah into sleeping with her because she had covered her face with a veil and he thought she was a prostitute. Some interpretations take this to mean that a male prostitute would be one recognizable by their dress, the dress of women. This is a little complex and something I don't fully understand. It would seem to suggest that there is no male equivalent to prostitution, that just by being a prostitute, they are taking up women's clothes, perverting God's will. Of course, the term a dog is used to refer to a male prostitute. But what we're talking about is not the literal translation of the words in their proper context, but society's interpretation hundreds of years later and hundreds of years after that. From ancient times to the Middle Ages, past the Enlightenment to now. Anyway, what does this mean for the cult of Asherah? From Jeremiah 13.27 I have seen thine adulteries and thy neighings, the lewdness of thy whoredom, and thine abominations on the hills and the fields. Woe unto thee, O Jerusalem! Wilt thou not be made clean? When shall it once be? So they didn't like it. Now you can say this was just a move against promiscuity, but modern archaeological perspectives seem to put into question whether or not there was any fertility rites being conducted by this cult. The word kedesha, used for prostitute, actually means holy one or separate one. Furthermore, it's well known that Asherah was worshipped alongside Yahweh at this time. Polytheism was popular. And monotheism didn't truly take hold until after the exile, after the initial fall of Jerusalem. That's a lot of baggage. The fact that any direct mention of Asherah has been removed from many translations of the Bible, including King James, shows an effort to rid Judaism of their promiscuous polytheistic past, as we'll come to see in the book of Jeremiah. Here we see over and over the religions of neighboring countries all sharing this trend. When men wore women's clothes in ancient times, it also carried the stigma and societal context of the pagan religions. If the followers of gods other than Yahweh were abominable, so must be their practices. Now we've given a lot of time to men in women's clothes. What about the other way around? Women wearing the clothes of men. I've seen this understood to mean something even more specific, that women shouldn't wear the armor or military dress of men, that women can't go to war. Interpretations are everywhere about this. 
going to war is bad for women because men are more suited to war. Or in another direction, women can't wear the dress of men because to do so is deceitful. They are trying to deceive and trick people. Maybe also seduce them while being in a guy's club. It's, yeah. What's amazing about these rules is that when it comes down to it, even in ancient times, religious leaders just didn't know. I see this time and again in the Bible. The wording is just too general, so it's up to future generations to interpret what did they mean in the first place. This has led to some of the worst decisions in the history of this religion. The most stunning example of bureaucratic religious mismanagement, at least concerning this verse, is obviously the trial of Joan of Arc. Fighting on behalf of the French, Joan of Arc is captured by the English side and tried by their religious authorities. Political hit job. What they decide is that breaking the commandment by God that women should not wear the dress of men, she is a heretic that deserves to be burned at stake, which of course happens. This gets murkier still. Consensus among church fathers is that this kind of cross-dressing is actually permissible under certain circumstances. From St. Thomas Aquinas's Summa Theologiae, Nevertheless, this may be done sometimes without sin on account of some necessity, either in order to hide oneself from enemies or through lack of other clothes, or for some similar motive. Even Benson's commentary begins, in some cases, this may be lawful as to make an escape for one's life. Joan didn't just wear armor in battle, but in prison to protect her virginity. From the deposition of the chief notary at Joan's trial, the bishop and earl well knew that her guards had tried to rape her several times, and once when she cried out for help, the earl himself came to her aid. If he hadn't arrived, the guards would have raped her. Bastards. So, as we see the effect of this law reverberate through time, there are many situations with many different results. Sometimes a law which is interpreted to be against paganism, against sexual immorality, can be used to burn a teenager to death. In Nigerian churches in 2013, it was used to tell female churchgoers they cannot wear pants. Surely this isn't what the authors of Deuteronomy intended, is it? I think the Christians have the best answer so far. While Christians are obligated to follow the moral laws of the Torah, the ceremonial laws of Moses no longer apply because they have been fulfilled and superseded by the new covenant, Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus died so women can wear pants. So it is written. Now, I'm just a guy reading an ancient book that some people take literally every single day. There's a lot more to this and plenty I'm sure I got wrong. But for now, Consider yourself at least semi-informed on a genuinely interesting topic that has been discussed and debated for hundreds and hundreds of years. This is the Nonbeliever Bible Club. I'm certain there will be more laws to read today. So, joineth me as I continue reading through the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 23. He that is wounded in the stones. 
<laughs> stones. Or hath his privy member cut off, ye shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Whoa. Why? Ellicott's Commentary for English Readers. The rule that a eunuch, eunuch, ah, okay, this makes more sense, should not enter into the congregation was doubtless intended to prevent the Israelitish rulers from making eunuchs of their brethren, the children of Israel. As a set-off to this apparent harshness, we must read Isaiah 56, 3-4, in which a special promise is given to the eunuchs that keep God's Sabbaths and take hold of his covenant. God will give to them, within his house and within his walls, a place and a name better than of sons and of daughters, an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. From the pulpit commentary, mutilation was performed by the two methods here specified, crushing and excision. The exclusion of persons who had suffered this from the congregation was due to the priestly character of the nation. Israel was a kingdom of priests, and the admission into it of one in whom the nature of man, as made by God, had been degraded and marred, would have been unfitting. Eunuchs were not excluded from religious privileges. Okay, moving on. A bastard shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to his tenth generation shall he not enter into the congregation of the Lord. An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever, because they met you not with bread and with water in the way, when ye came forth out of Egypt, and because they hired against thee Balaam, the son of Beor of Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse thee. Nevertheless, the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee because the Lord thy God loved thee. Thou shalt not seek their peace, nor their prosperity all thy days forever. Thou shalt not abhor an Edomite, for he is thy brother, ah, from Edom. Thou shalt not abhor an Egyptian, because thou wast a stranger in his land. Cool. They were enslaved in that land, but they were hanging there for a while. The children that are begotten of them shall enter into the congregation of the Lord in their third generation. (laughs) All right, by the third generation, you're weeded out. When the host goeth forth against thine enemies, then keep thee from every wicked thing. If there be among you any man that is not clean by reason of uncleanness, that chanceth him by night, then shall he go abroad out of the camp. He shall not come within the camp. But it shall be when evening cometh on. He shall wash himself with water, and when the sun is down, he shall come into the camp again. Hi, this is me from the future. I have to stop it here because I found out something about this specific passage. In the King James, it says, If there be among you any man that is not clean by reason of uncleanness that chanceth him by night, which sounds like your dad talking around what NIV gives you freely if one of your men is unclean because of a nocturnal emission. He is to go outside the camp. Yes, the price you pay for a wet dream is you get kicked out of the camp. He shall not come within the camp. 
but it shall be when evening cometh on. He shall wash himself with water, and when the sun is down, he shall come into the camp again. (laughs) Thou shalt have a place also without the camp, whither thou shalt go forth abroad, and thou shalt have a paddle upon thy weapon, and it shall be when thou wilt ease thyself abroad, thou shalt dig therewith, and shalt turn back and cover that which cometh from thee. Hmm. For the Lord thy God walketh in the midst of thy camp to deliver thee, and to give up thine enemies before thee. Therefore shall thy camp be holy, that he see no unclean thing in thee, and turn away from thee. I like how Moses is like about to die, and everyone's going to go to the promised land without him. And he's like, ah, but wait, wait, wait. Bury your poop. Okay, you may go. Thou shalt not deliver unto his master the servant which is escaped from his master unto thee. He shall dwell with thee, even among you, in that place which he shall choose in one of thy gates, where it liketh him best. Thou shalt not oppress him. There shall be no whore of the daughters of Israel, nor a sodomite of the sons of Israel. Thou shalt not bring the hire of a whore or the price of a dog into the house of the Lord thy God for any vow. For even both these are abomination unto the Lord thy God. I'm beginning to think of the word abomination as just something somebody else does. That's what they do. And we're not them. We're the people who do what not them do. By the way, the hire of a whore and the wages of a dog translate in NIV as the earnings of a female prostitute or of a male prostitute. Good to know. Thou shalt not lend upon usury to thy brother, usury of money, usury of victuals, usury of anything that is lent upon usury. Unto a stranger thou mayest lend upon usury, but unto thy brother thou shalt not lend upon usury, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all that thou seest thine hand to in the land, whither thou goest to possess it. When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it, for the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. But if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in thee. That which is gone out of thy lips thou shalt keep and perform, even a free will offering, according as thou hast vowed unto the Lord thy God, which thou hast promised with thy mouth. When thou comest into thy neighbor's vineyard, then thou mayest eat grapes thy fill at thine own pleasure, but thou shalt not put any in thy vessel. When thou comest into the standing corn of thy neighbor, then thou mayest pluck the ears with thine hand, but thou shalt not move a sickle unto thy neighbor's standing corn. Okay, so with those last ones, you see a grape? Yeah, you could pluck the grape and eat it. But you're not going to bring a box and fill it with grapes. While at the same time, if you're growing grapes, people can come over and eat your grapes. You got to be willing to let go, but you can also take a little bit. As for vows, God's going to expect what you vowed. But if you don't want to vow, you don't have to vow. Chapter 24. When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, 
because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her and write her a bill of divorcement and giveth it in her hand and send her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. Ooh, after that she is defiled, for that is abomination before the Lord. And thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Well, no takesies backsies in the land of Israel. I find this interesting from the Cambridge Bible for schools and colleges concerning the line, after that she is defiled. Ambiguous, indeed, as the most carefully chosen terms of some laws often are. But the natural meaning is that she is unclean to the former husband by her union with the latter. It cannot be a matter of indifference to him that she has been another's, as presumably the popular humor took it. She was therefore taboo or unlawful to her first husband. The language does tend to lead to women being defiled or she is unclean. I suppose we could understand the intention to be, or at least hope that the intention is, that such an act with such a person, with the other person, would lead to uncleanness or be an unclean act. Again, with reference to the land of Israel, Thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee. There's always this emphasis on everything you do will reflect in the place where you're living, in the community. Remember from Genesis, this is all God's experiment in creating the absolutely perfect society with the least amount of sin possible. But how do you control humans? Concessions and concessions and exceptions just so that the people who must follow these laws can more or less do so, even though it's clear that they can't, <laughs> even though it's clear that they struggle to. When a man hath taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war, neither shall he be charged with any business, but he shall be free at home one year and shall cheer up his wife, which he hath taken. Yeah, I love that law. Maternity leave? <sighs> Matrimony leave. No man shall take the nether or the upper millstone to pledge, for he taketh a man's life to pledge. Time to find out what that means. Ah, I see. What they're saying is that these things are not up for grabs when you're vowing or pledging. So the two millstones described are necessary for this man to make his life. If you're going to take a miller's millstones away, you're actually taking his life away. If a man be found stealing any of his brethren of the children of Israel and maketh merchandise of him or selleth him, then that thief shall die and thou shalt put evil away from among you. Take heed in the plague of leprosy, that thou observe diligently and do according to all that the priests, the Levites, shall teach you. 
as I commanded them, over and over and over in Leviticus, so ye shall observe to do. Remember what the Lord thy God did unto Miriam by the way, after that ye were come forth out of Egypt. Yeah, he gave her leprosy because she was gossiping, talking shit about Moses. You got to trust God, trust in his people. Don't talk shit. When thou dost lend thy brother anything, thou shalt not go into his house to fetch his pledge. Thou shalt stand abroad, and the man to whom thou dost lend shall bring out the pledge abroad unto thee. And if the man be poor, thou shalt not sleep with his pledge. In any case, thou shalt deliver him the pledge again when the sun goeth down, that he may sleep in his own raiment and bless thee. And it shall be righteousness unto thee before the Lord thy God. Now, if a man was poor, he was allowed to use his shirt for his pledge because he had no money. What it's asking is, if you are taking the shirt of somebody as their pledge, don't give it to him tomorrow. He needs to sleep in it. He's poor, and you know it. So don't take advantage of those who are worse off than you. Thou shalt not oppress an hired servant that is poor and needy, whether he be of thy brethren or of thy strangers that are in thy land within thy gates. At his day thou shalt give him his hire, neither shall the sun go down upon it, for he is poor, and setteth his heart upon it, lest he cry against thee unto the Lord, and it be sin unto thee. The fathers shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to patron. They will be put to this page turn. They will not be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. Thou shalt not pervert the judgment of the stranger, nor of the fatherless, nor take a widow's raiment to pledge. But thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee thence. Therefore I command thee to do this thing. When thou cuttest down thine harvest in thy field, and hast forgot a sheaf in the field, thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands. When thou beatest thine olive tree, if you know what I mean, kidding, thou shalt not go over to the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger for the fatherless, and for the widow. When thou gatherest the grapes of thy vineyard, thou shalt not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command thee to do this thing. I do like the little bit of, if you have any goods or wealth, leave a little bit on the side for those less fortunate than you. That's always good. Chapter 25 If there be a controversy between men, and they come unto judgment, that the judges may judge them, then they shall justify the righteous, and condemn the wicked. It shall be, if the wicked man be worthy to be beaten, that the judge shall cause him to lie down, and to be beaten before his face, according to his fault, by a certain number. Forty stripes he may give him, and not exceed, lest, if he should exceed, 
and beat him above these with many stripes, then thy brother should seem vile unto thee. Thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treadeth out the corn. Okay, this is kind of an animal cruelty thing. If the ox is pounding out the grain, doing all this work, it should be unmuzzled so that he can freely eat of the corn whatever he wants while he's working. That's just not being a dick to your animals. You could be too possessive and say, hey, he's eating the things that I need to sell. But he's working. That ox is working. Don't muzzle him. If brethren dwell together, and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her, and take her to him to wife, and perform the duty of an husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. And if the man like not to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate unto the elders and say, My husband's brother refuseth to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak unto him. And if he stand to it and say, I like not to take her, then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face and shall answer and say, So shall it be done unto that man that will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. And he shall be called shoe boy. When men strive together, which also means they're beating each other up, one with another, and the wife of the one draweth near for to deliver her husband out of the hand of him that smiteth him, and putteth forth her hand, and taketh him by the secrets, then thou shalt cut off her hand, thine eye shall not pity her. Okay, ten bucks the secrets is his jewels. And by jewels I mean stones. And by stones, I mean testicles. Ah, oh, it's good to be right. Well, maybe not this time. New Living Translation. If two Israelite men get into a fight and the wife of one tries to rescue her husband by grabbing the testicles of the other man, <laughs> you are getting your hand cut off. You don't mess with the stones. Thou shalt not have in thy bag diverse weights a great and a small. Thou shalt not have in thine house diverse measures, a great and a small. But thou shalt have a perfect and just weight. I see, so you can't trick anybody. A perfect and just measure shalt thou have, that thy days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. For all that do such things, and all that do unrighteously, are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way, when ye were come forth out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way, and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee, when thou wast faint and weary, and he feared not God. Therefore it shall be, when the Lord thy God hath given thee rest from all thine enemies, round about, in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it, 
that thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Thou shalt not forget it. That's pretty cool, but he shouldn't have mentioned that because now I know about Amalek. <laughs> the, didn't quite blot out the remembrance of Amalek when he's telling me about Amalek. Chapter 26. And it shall be when thou art come in unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance, and possessest it, and dwellest therein, that thou shalt take of the first of all the fruit of the earth, which thou shalt bring of thy land, that the Lord thy God giveth thee, giveth thee, and shalt put it in a basket, and shalt go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name there, and thou shalt go unto the priest that shall be in those days, and say unto him, I profess this day unto the Lord thy God, that I am come unto the country which the Lord sware unto our fathers for to give us. And the priest shall take the basket out of thine hand, and set it down before the altar of the Lord thy God. And thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God, A Syrian ready to perish, was my father, and he went down into Egypt, and sojourned there with a few, and became there a nation great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians evil entreated us, and afflicted us, and laid upon us hard bondage. And when we cried unto the Lord God of our fathers, the Lord heard our voice, and looked on our affliction, and our labor, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt, with a mighty hand, and with an outstretched arm, and with great terribleness, and with signs, and with wonders. And he hath brought us into this place, and hath given us this land, even a land that floweth with milk and honey. And now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land, which thou, O Lord, hast given me. And thou shalt set it before the Lord thy God, and worship before the Lord thy God and thou shalt rejoice in every good thing which the Lord thy God hath given unto thee, and unto thine house, thou, and the Levite, and the stranger that is among you. When thou hast made an end of tithing all the tithes of thine increase the third year, which is the year of tithing, and hast given it unto the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that they may eat within thy gates and be filled then thou shalt say before the Lord thy God, I have brought away the hallowed things out of mine house, and also have given them unto the Levite, and unto the stranger, to the fatherless, and to the widow, according to all thy commandments which thou hast commanded me. I have not transgressed thy commandments, neither have I forgotten them. I have not eaten thereof in my mourning, neither have I taken away aught thereof for any unclean use, nor given aught thereof for the dead. But I have hearkened to the voice of the Lord my God, and have done according to all that thou hast commanded me. Look down from thy holy habitation, from heaven, and bless thy people Israel, and the land which thou hast given us, as thou swearest unto our fathers, a land that floweth with milk and honey. This day the Lord thy God hath commanded thee to do these statutes and judgments. Thou shalt therefore 
keep and do them with all thine heart and with all thy soul. Thou hast avouched the Lord this day to be thy God, and to walk in his ways, and to keep his statutes and his commandments, and his judgments, and to hearken unto his voice. And the Lord hath avouched thee this day to be his peculiar people, as he hath promised thee, and that thou shouldest keep all his commandments, and to make thee high above all nations which he hath made, in praise and in name, and in honor, that thou mayest be an holy people unto the Lord thy God, as he hath spoken. Well, doesn't get any better than that. Chapter 27 And Moses with the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you this day. And they're like, yeah, we got it. <laughs> and it shall be on the day when ye shall pass over Jordan unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, that thou shalt set thee up great stones. Stones seems to be the theme. And plaster them with plaster, which is a really confusing ancient term for plaster. And thou shalt write upon them all the words of this law, when thou art passed over, that thou mayest go in unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, a land that floweth with milk and honey, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee. Therefore it shall be when ye be gone over Jordan, that ye shall set up these stones, which I command you this day in Mount Ebal, and thou shalt plaster them with plaster. And there shalt thou build an altar unto the Lord thy God, an altar of stones. Thou shalt not lift up any iron tool upon them. Thou shalt build the altar of the Lord thy God of whole stones. And thou shalt offer burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord thy God. And thou shalt offer peace offerings, and shalt eat there, and rejoice before the Lord thy God. And thou shalt write upon the stones all the word of this law, very plainly. Page turn. And Moses and the priests, the Levites, spake unto all Israel, saying, Take heed, and hearken, O Israel. This day thou art become the people of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt therefore obey the voice of the Lord thy God, and do his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. And Moses charged the people the same day, saying, These shall stand upon Mount Gerizim to bless the people when ye are come over Jordan, Simeon and Levi and Judah and Issachar and Joseph and Benjamin. And these shall stand upon Mount Ebal to curse, Reuben, Gad, and Asher and Zebulun, Dan and Naphtali. From Benson's Commentary Four of these are children of the bondwoman, to show that the curse belongs to those of servile and disingenuous spirits. With these are joined Reuben, who by a shameful sin fell from his dignity when he slept with his father's concubine, and Zebulun, the youngest of Leah's children, that the numbers might be equal. No other reason, just because he's the youngest, shit rolls downhill. And so the tribe is split into two, one to officially bless the people, the other to officially curse the people. This duality of light and dark, resembling the Urim and Thummim, very interesting. 
And the Levites shall speak and say unto all the men of Israel with a loud voice, Cursed be the man that maketh any graven or molten image, an abomination unto the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and putteth it in a secret place. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed be he that setteth light by his father or his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Setteth light looks like a translation of dishonor. So, honor your mother and father. Cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that maketh the blind to wander out of the way, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that perverteth the judgment of the stranger, fatherless, and widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that lieth with his father's wife, because he uncovereth his father's skirt, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that lieth with any manner of beast, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that lieth with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that lieth with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that smiteth his neighbor secretly, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that taketh reward to slay an innocent person, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them, and all the people shall say, Amen. Here we shall end our reading for today. Interesting development. At the end of this, we've got two chapters, one full of thankfulness, hope, and the last chapter, a reminder of the curses. Most of these appearing to echo the Ten Commandments. Don't make any graven images, respect your mother and father, don't covet any woman who is in your family or already married, don't kill anybody. But as the two mountains in the Holy Land are divided between blessing and curse, so the law must be remembered, but the curse, the fear of God, must be remembered. We have to both love with all our heart and fear with all our heart. Thanks for listening to the Nonbeliever Bible Club. We have got precious little Deuteronomy left. Join me next time when I finish the book of Deuteronomy. But till then, take care, my creeping things. Set a little bit aside for the stranger, the fatherless, the widow. And whatever you do, at all costs, don't mess with the stones. Adios.